Good morning, welcome to Insiders. Well, Australia's media ownership landscape could be transformed as a result of changes that went through the Senate this week. Restrictions on the big players that have been in place for decades have been lifted. We'll talk to the Communications Minister, Mitch Fifield about that this morning and about the deal struck with Senators Nick Xenophon and Pauline Hanson to make that happen. But before then, once again, Parliament was dominated by the energy debate, with the government giving it to Labor and AGL in equal measure. Morning, Minister. Oh, right. How are you going? Thank you. Morning, Mr Finkel. Hello. You here for the meeting this afternoon? Looking forward to having constructive conversations. Thank you. I'm looking forward to a constructive discussion. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to say a little bit about the meeting with the AGL Managing Director last night, Andy Vasey. Malcolm Turnbull, all talk, no action. It was a constructive meeting. He has a meeting yesterday of AGL. He comes out and he says, um, victory. What he has agreed to do is to take our proposal to his board that either AGL should continue to run the station for longer or they should sell it to somebody else who would. Then this morning, AGL comes out and says that uh, they're still going ahead with their plans to uh, close the plant. I think that we are committed to finding the best solution for the market. Uh, we believe that we can deliver that without having to consider uh, the extension or sell the plant, and that's what we're going to work on. This Liddell power station keeps breaking down. It's so old. I'm older than it, and so are than you, and I, I think we're still doing all right, mate. And uh, uh, th this thing can... <laughs> we're not power stations, though. <laughs> Can I just say, Joel, we, we met with Andy. We met with Andy yesterday. And you misrepresented again. Oh, you're now defending the big energy you companies are you? who are making big profits, who are seeing off the family back of the high prices off, you create. Off the back of Australian families. And Josh, brown I think partner. you're embarrassed. You, you, I, th I think, I think I, you're embarrassed. I think every day you've got to roll out and support the I, Prime Minister's desperate attempts to mislead the Australian Joel, community. I, I think you are missing an opportunity. I'm on your side. Mate. They are quick to rush to the aid of multi-millionaire American chief executives of giant electricity companies. It's not about um, Andy Vesey, it's about what people are paying for their power. Well, Andy Vesey has been bullied by the Prime Minister. Bully! Of course, when the Prime Minister stares you down and says, won't you at least take this back to your board, of course you say yes. Of course, when the Prime Minister stares you down. Most people would regard that as a, as a compliment, by the way. That Andy Vesey has had these plans on the books for a long time. I've been very aware of them. It's the Vesey Fitzgibbon plan. That'll go down really well at the Workers' Club in Musselbrook, I can tell you. Prime Minister Turnbull plays the saviour of power prices and casts the companies and labour as the villains. AGL is making a fortune out of coal-fired power. If it's such a bad asset, then don't you think you should sell it to someone? What they obviously want to do is maximise their power in the market, and that means uh, ensuring that no one else buys Liddell. For them, scarcity of energy is good because it enables them to raise prices. The Liberal Party in Australia is now the party of market intervention. 
and the anti-business party. AGL's management want to look after their shareholders. My job is to look after the people with more affordable and reliable power. Thank you very much. So all that and John Howard steps into the debate around the same-sex marriage survey. That's coming up, but first we'll check out the Sunday papers with our panel. This morning it's Karen Middleton, Shane Wright and Jared Henderson. And around the, the same-sex marriage debate, and it's hotting up and claims are coming thick and fast, uh, there was a campaign launch last night for the Coalition for Marriage, and this is what uh, Corey Bernardi and uh, Senator Matt Canavan had to say. If the state redefines marriage, it also redefines how you can speak, think, advocate, and believe about marriage. How do we get to that circumstance where what you think and believe and advocate about marriage is somehow against the law of the land? Many of those on the yes side want to make it illegal to be able to just express a different view about marriage. That is their agenda. That is their agenda. So, Karen, we're talking here about thought crimes. Yes, indeed. It seems that's what Matt Canavan and, and Corey Bernardi and others in the no camp are concerned about. Sort of interesting because the most recent example we've seen in the last few days of uh, people being punished for the views they hold is actually in the other, in the other direction. The um, young couple wanting to get married in a Presbyterian church here in Victoria being told... They can't be married despite all the invitations having gone out because uh, the bride-to-be expressed a view in favour of same-sex marriage on her Facebook page. And Malcolm Turnbull uh, defended his right to do that. Here's the Prime Minister. Churches are entitled to marry or not marry whom they please. That is part of religious freedom. I mean, there are many churches that... that many, well, I mean, including my own church, the Catholic Church, will not marry someone who has been married before. That does seem to suggest that the freedoms are operating. Yeah, but, you know, it's not about not marrying someone who's been married before or not marrying a gay couple. It's about marrying someone who's friends with a gay couple or supports mm, a yes, gay but couple. I, I don't think Corrie Bernardi and Matt Canavan have made this up. I mean, there is concern that if you change the definition of, of marriage in the Commonwealth Act, we have no idea how this will be interpreted by various state anti-discrimination tribunals. But, but we Jerry, just isn't it stretch, a, a no. stretch to say that even to, to, to have a view against same-sex marriage is then illegal. That's what they're saying. Well, I haven't said that. He, that they uh, did. No, but I that wouldn't we say don't, that's what we're discussing. Well, we don't punish uh, people for having thoughts well, about other things. Can I get a word in? Okay, go. <laughs> it probably would not be illegal, but we don't really know. We don't know at the Commonwealth level, and more, more particularly, we don't know at the state level. We don't know what state anti-discrimination anti commissions would do in such a circumstances. That might be able to be overruled by Commonwealth law. It probably could be but we don't have a Commonwealth law. So I don't think we should ridicule the likes of Bernardi and Canavan for making the comment. I think it's reasonable to disagree with it, but I don't think it's reasonable to ridicule it. It's, it's not a totally outlandish comment. It's certainly becoming a more complicated debate, Shane. Uh, this was never going to be easy because the no opponents need it to be much broader than just yes to... Mm a couple of blokes or a couple of women deciding to uh, get married. It, they need it to be broader and so that it was always going to get into much bigger issues. So we've, yeah. like I've talked to a few people who've said if there is a yes vote and it comes out on, I think it's November 15 at 11.30 from the ABS, the next arguments will start. 
and that's all about the it's legislation a, from then on. From that, yeah. it, it was but never going to be yes or no the republic. No. It was what kind of a republic. And when we got around to that argument, it, it went And that's down. what no, did it, did it I mean, ultimately. That's, that's not fair. Look, I've, I voted yes for a republic 20 years ago. But the, the proposal that went to the referendum was a perfectly reasonable question. The problem mm. the Republican side had was it divided. Yes. Many mm. Republicans no, that I, I, I know voted no. Mm. They voted no not because they were confused. They weren't confused. They wanted a directly elected Couldn't president. And that was exploited very effectively no, by the people opposed. No, no, it had was the, exploited. On, had the offer up there been a directly elected president, I would have voted no because I don't think that's a good idea. Indeed, and that's what the no camp wanted. No, but jo no, John Howard put up the proposition that Malcolm Turnbull wanted and the proposition went down and I voted yes but you can't say he confused it it went down primarily because the Republicans were divided it but was nobody was fault. ever asked do you want Australia to become a republic no but well, that would have been a plebiscite well that's right well hang on and that's what this I was supposed to be a, yeah but but a plebiscite got knocked out we're not having a plebiscite because Labor the Greens and the crossbenchers knocked it back in the Senate but the point is that the no side exploits the divisions and confusion and uh, and disagreement over a model on the Republic and now the no camp is raising questions that are well beyond the question of should gay people be allowed to marry anyway, we will come back to this question of the, the vilification laws because that's that's a, a much bigger topic but um, Jared uh, there is evidence today uh, that the government got a result when it appealed to the, the power companies uh, to give customers a better deal? Well, the Prime Minister said uh, to the power companies that they should offer, I think, about a million customers on certain agreements, the prospect to get discounts. And the evidence in today's News Corp uh, papers seems to be that so far 100,000 customers have gone to the various uh, energy companies and requested this. So that's mm. a, quite a surprising uh, result. It's, uh, it's, it's more successful than I would have thought. But obviously, people have responded to uh, to the prime minister's suggestion that they go for a better deal, and uh, yeah. the, the, that's good for the economy. That's uh, that's good for business. And Shane from the West Australian, what's the news out of the West? Um, that uh, Kim Beasley is the tip as now the report is as governor. Now, given what's going on in Western Australia, Kim could end up as the governor general of the the state that secedes. And, <laughs> and I, I actually reported just yesterday that uh, a, form, a former <laughs> Liberal uh, candidate uh, who was split from the party is crowdfunding a High Court challenge to the GST distribution. If people think Western Australia is not angry and continuing to be angry, they've got another thing coming on the East Coast. <laughs> OK, well, that's the Sunday Papers. Now we'll go to our studio guest in this morning. It's the Minister for Communication, Senator Mitch Fifield. Uh, while he joins us, here's the Greens' Richard D. Natale on the move to now allow media barons to own radio, TV and newspapers in the same market. What we're going to get is we're going to get a further concentration in the media market here in Australia, and that's a bad thing. We want more voices in the media, not fewer voices. This package doesn't deliver it. What it does deliver is more power to a fewer number of people to concentrate the number of voices in the media. The two out of three rule's gone, and what that means is we're going to see more mergers, more acquisitions, smaller players being swallowed up by the big players, and we're going to see fewer voices in our media, and that's a bad thing in any democracy. Senator, welcome. Good morning, Barry. So, further concentration in an already concentrated market. Is that the result? Look, the greatest danger and threat to diversity uh, with Australian media would be uh, if a significant Australian media organisation went out backwards. We don't want that to happen. The media laws that we had were crafted in the 1980s uh, before the internet existed. Now, I'm very fond of the 1980s, but we don't live there anymore, and we need media laws that recognise the world that we live in. 
The point, though, of the changes is, is to encourage, surely, more mergers and more acquisitions, and won't that mean big players swallowing out some of the smaller players? Well, look, there could be consolidation, but that's ultimately a matter for media organisations to configure themselves in the ways that best support their viability. But we're still going to have important diversity protections. We have something called the 5-4 voices rule, which says that you've got to have five independent media voices in metro areas and four in the regions. We're still going to have uh, the two-door market the radio rule, which says you can't have a crowd that has more than two radio licences in one market. We're still going to have the one-door market TV rule, uh, which says that uh, you can't have more than one TV licence in a market. We're still going to have uh, the ACCC competition ruler, uh, and we're still going to have... Uh, the important underpinning of media diversity, courtesy of a small and struggling media organisation called the ABC. Well, let's look at the uh, arrangements that you, you've come to with uh, both Nick Xenophon and Pauline Hanson, starting with Pauline Hanson to get these changes through. Um, you've, you've agreed to her demands around the ABC and you have said quite confidently this week that you think you can, that they'll get through the Senate. So what will change at the ABC? Well, it's important uh, to uh, honour your commitments uh, and we have said that uh, we will introduce legislation uh, to give effect to some changes to the ABC. Uh, one of those is to put in the ABC Act uh, the words fair and balanced. Now, there's, there's been a, a bit of uh, uproar about that, uh, but there shouldn't be because uh, Chapter 4 of the ABC's own editorial policies talks about the importance of fair treatment. It also talks about a balance that follows the weight of evidence. So these are not new or strange journalistic No, it, so far, though, it's concepts. been harsh and inaccurate. You're adding fair and balance. Mm. But what do you actually mean by balance? Well, I, I go by the ABC's own editorial policy, which is a balance that follows the weight of evidence. Uh, these are not strange or new journalistic concepts. If you look at the uh, Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance journalistic code of conduct, um, it talks about uh, fairness uh, on no less than six occasions. Fairness, yes, but it's a, the question of balance, and, and one nation, this is One Nation's idea, and we know what they mean by balance. They've given an example. They say... Um, that you should give equal time, equal space, to the climate change scientists and the climate change sceptics, those who think the whole thing is a hoax. Is that, is, that how, is that balance? Is that the kind of balance you want to see? Look, what I'm talking about is effectively enshrining in legislation that which is already in the ABC's own editorial policy. So it won't balance, necessarily mean this? You don't have to give equal time to the two thoughts on climate change? It's a balance that follows the weight of evidence. But this isn't the only area that but we're looking at, Barry. who decides the weight of evidence? Who, who decides whether we should give equal, equal time to the scientists and the sceptics? Barry, it will operate exactly as it does now. And that is, uh, the ABC uh, will make judgments on these matters. Uh, the government doesn't uh, have a role in editorial arrangements at the ABC. That's not going to change. We're simply reinforcing through legislation that which is already in the ABC's own editorial policies. But uh, as I was just about to mention, we're also uh, looking at putting uh, the words rural and regional in the ABC Charter. Now, a lot of people would assume that that was already in the ABC Charter. It's not. Uh, we just think uh, it's a good statement of the important role that the ABC has for rural and regional Australia. The ABC's got a good record, though, hasn't it, in rural and regional Australia? Well, the, the, the community is, uh, is very close to and very fond of uh, the ABC 
in rural and regional Australia. Uh, what we want to do is make sure that that is explicit in the, the Charter of the ABC. We're also going to legislate that there have to be two people from rural and regional Australia on the board of the ABC. Now, we've already appointed two people, so we've done that, uh, but we think it's a good thing that that's enshrined in legislation. Now, the deal with Nick Xenophon, the $60 million innovation fund, the cadetships um, that will be directly funded to some media organisations, why is that not straight-out protectionism? Well, the whole basis of uh, our package uh, and the elements uh, that we've agreed to with Nick Xenophon is to support those elements of the Australian media industry that have been disrupted. Uh, regional newspapers in particular have faced a very hard time and so the $60 million package uh, that we've agreed to uh, will have an innovation fund which will help those businesses, particularly in regional areas, uh, to re-engineer themselves so that they're better positioned to face the new challenges. But they're not the first industry to face new challenges and, and yet it's very rare for the government to bail them out. Well, we're not bailing uh, anyone out. Uh, this is a short-term program for three years. A limited well, where the media is the exception to the uh, rule. A limited, Why the media? A limited amount of money, uh, $60 million, uh, yes that's real money but it's pretty small uh, when you compare it to the billion dollars plus that the ABC receives. So we want to provide some targeted uh, assistance to these businesses uh, to be better prepared uh, for the new media environment that they operate in. And Barry, we, but, we but don't... That, that's not what SBC heard when they were in trouble. Well, Barry, we don't make any apology for recognising that the media plays an important role in underpinning our democracy. Uh, they hold us to account. Uh, they uh, tell uh, the Australian public uh, the stories that they want to hear about what's happening in the community. That's important. Uh, we didn't want to see Australian media companies fail. That's why we're changing our media laws. That's why we're effectively providing tax cuts for commercial free-to-air broadcasters. Uh, that's why we have this package of measures uh, to support regional media. We think these are good things. We think these are important things. And Guardian Australia misses out even though they're a small organisation, but they do, they do um, employ Australian journalists. Why, why do they miss out? Well, Barry, we haven't applied uh, any ideological tests here, but what we wanted to happen was to see this support focused on Australian media organisations and those that had been disrupted, and that's the way we've structured uh, this uh, $60 million package. So if the parent, the parent company is foreign, they're excluded? That's right, that's one of the tests that we have. Uh, we have uh, a principal purpose test uh, that they've got to be engaged in civic journalism. Uh, we have an independence test that they can't be associated with a political party or a trade union uh, or an organisation that beats a drum as it were. Uh, but the, the parent company, the foreign parent company rule, I mean you gave $30 million in the budget to Fox Sports so that they would cover knee sports and, and, and women's sports and it's a company wholly owned by an American, Rupert Murdoch. Well, we have our agreement with uh, Nick Xenophon, which is focused primarily on uh, rural and regional uh, publications. But it's uh, not Nick have... Xenophon's fault that you've done this. He, he argued against it, but, but he eventually went with it because he wanted the package as a whole to get up. Well, we have a range of discussions with uh, crossbenchers. They put uh, different propositions forward. Uh, but something I 
absolutely wasn't going to do uh, in the context of this $60 million package uh, was uh, see dollars uh, go to organisations uh, that are part of uh, foreign operations. I also but you gave the $30 million to Rupert Murdoch in the budget. Well, as I was going to say, uh, Barry, uh, we, we have this uh, package with Nick Xenophon. Uh, we also have the media reform package uh, as a whole. Uh, and that media reform package, you've got to look at uh, in context. Now, we had good reasons for cutting licence fees for free-to-air broadcasters. We also wanted to see that there was a community dividend from that in the form of further restrictions on gambling advertising. Uh, but we did recognise that subscription TV has a different operating environment. Uh, they don't pay uh, licence fees. Uh, and what I didn't want to see uh, was that there were uh, effects on women's sports or niche sports as a result of the fact that they operate in a different environment. Yeah, and, the other, and they don't reach many people either, 30% of the audience. So if you want to promote sports, niche sports, why, why would you give it to an organisation that only reaches 30% of the audience? Well, a, a recent uh, Sports Commission survey found that 70% uh, of the coverage of women's sport uh, occurred on subscription TV. Uh, this is an organisation that has four dedicated sports channels. Uh, they've got a good track record when it comes to covering uh, women's sports and niche sports. Uh, yes, uh, the ABC does some good work as well and they're supported uh, to the tune of more than a billion dollars a year, uh, but we thought that this was a good and appropriate measure to decide. Have you set in place performance standards, so viewers reached, number of sports covered, that, that kind of thing? There will be uh, a deed uh, of agreement for funding, uh, which is currently being negotiated uh, with uh, Fox Sports, which will cover those matters. On the NBN, it, it just seems that I think you're about halfway through the rollout, uh, and yet fewer than half the premises passed have really signed up. Are you, are you disappointed with that? Well, you're right, Barry. Uh, the NBN is more than 50% complete. In regional areas, uh, it's two-thirds complete because we deliberately front-end loaded uh, the work for regional areas, given that they have had uh, poorer broadband compared to uh, metro areas. Um, and we've got good take-up. Um, NBN expects about 75% of people will Fewer than half is, you're satisfied with that. that? That's a good result. Well, Barry, what you've got to appreciate is there's an 18-month migration window from when uh, the NBN comes to your area uh, to when you actually have to switch over. Uh, so some people take their time. Uh, what we're finding, though, is over that period, uh, it is hitting 75%. And remember, Barry, uh, only about 75% of, of people actually have a landline uh, in their house. So the percentages mm. that are hooking up to the NBN are about the same as those who choose to have a landline in the pre-NBN world. The, the bigger problem is so many of these people are saying they're, they're ending up with an inferior service. They, they feel doubted. Well, there is a period of, of transition. Um, NBN, uh, when they're connecting people, gets it right first time on about nine out of ten occasions, uh, but uh, I never want to diminish in any way uh, the experience that someone has uh, if it's not all that it should be. And what do you do about that? How, how do you turn that around if people are actually getting an inferior service after all that they were, they were told would happen? Well, there are two things. Firstly, we, we want to improve and are improving the migration process. Uh, secondly, when it comes to the experience that people actually have uh, on the network, uh, one of the issues is uh, retail service providers. You're, Telstra's, your Optus's, your TPG's, uh, whether they purchase enough capacity to service their customers. Now, we have instructed the ACCC uh, to undertake uh, 
performance monitoring, speed monitoring, where there'll be 4,000 probes embedded in premises around the country and people will have visibility of uh, the service that's actually being provided. The ACCC has also issued fresh guidance to retailers to make sure that their advertising is clear uh, for consumers, something that it hasn't always been. Just finally, on the on the vilification laws um, around the same-sex marriage survey, some of the, the impacts of, of voting yes um, in, in, in the survey, are they being exaggerated in your mind? Or? Well, there'll, there'll be claims, there'll be counterclaims when uh, you're having a, a debate of, of this sort. Um, I think the Australian community uh, is well capable of uh, determining uh, what are spurious arguments uh, and what are valid ones. And, and was the vilification legislation really necessary given that you've said all along, the government has said all along that you expected a, a civil discussion? Mm. Well, uh, that will be in place for uh, about uh, eight or so weeks uh, during uh, the campaign period. Uh, when the campaign period is over, uh, that will sunset. Uh, yes, uh, the Australian community uh, are capable of and are conducting themselves in a civil way. Uh, there will always be a few outliers uh, at either end of the debate, but uh, we'll be through this soon and I think people will be wondering what all the fuss was about. Minister, thanks for your time. Good to see you, Barry. New laws have been passed today in a bid to take hate out of the same-sex marriage debate. Treating the postal vote much like an election. The bill contains provisions against vilification, intimidation and threat to cause harm. The aim is to stop LGBTI Australians and their families as well as Australians with religious conviction from facing attack. My three-year-old son was down the local shop with members of my own rainbow family. There will always be someone complaining about being upset by someone else. They were handed an anti-marriage equality pamphlet. And the pamphlet is too hurtful to repeat here. I think that people have a right to, um, to be able to speak openly. If you are legislating to protect everyone from having hurt feelings, you will never stop legislating. I stress at this point that merely expressing a view about the marriage law survey question does not trigger uh, the offence provision. The worry we have with laws like this, where you suppress freedom of speech, and that's what it will be interpreted as, you don't want to make martyrs out of these people. This is essentially uh, 18C on steroids on a temporary course of steroids to protect people from being upset. I can see the no vote, the, the, the radicals on the far right wing of the no vote saying, see what they're doing, see what they're doing? They're shutting down our argument. Am I going to be seen as I'm intimidating someone or I'm, I'm upsetting someone? Are we going to shut down the debate so we cannot have this, have the say on this? This is a survey that we in the LGBTI community should not have to suffer through. Only love can hurt like this. This bill cannot stop all of the hurt, all of the prejudice that's being expressed all of the lack of acceptance. They are the ones who are pretending that they're persecuted. More and more I see this creeping into our country to shut down debate and freedom of speech. To the decent people, and there are some on the other side, and I count Senator Cormann as one of them, and I'd say to the Prime Minister, is you actually need to stand up on this. 
The government believes that the Australian people are able to have this debate respectfully and courteously. I suggest the bill is itself a, an admission by this government uh, that there is harm being uh, already inflicted by this survey process. I think this is quite dangerous. This bill does something, but it doesn't do enough. And it must have been so, Darren Hinch there, Gerard. He seemed to be spot on when he said that that's what the no vote would do. They would use this legislation to say you're trying to shut down debate. Well, as I understand the legislation is there is because we don't have uh, a normal plebiscite. We have a postal survey. So the rules that would apply in an election don't apply. Yep. So they're essentially the rules. Now, what, as I understand, is different is there's this fine of $2,500 or thereabouts, which is at kind of at the discretion of the Attorney-General, which doesn't seem to be good law to me. But, but essentially what we're doing is we're having a normal election, but we have to have special legislation. Now, I always argued that from the day one that we should have had the plebiscite that Prime Minister Turnbull promised. It would have been held by the end of February. The polls at that stage were very good for the yes case. I think yep. it, this would have all been resolved seven months ago, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen and that now way. The, but, but now the people but like Hinch who are opposing the plebiscite yeah. are now objecting to, to what's got to be done to get sure, the survey you, right. What, what you're arguing is that look, all they're putting in place here is the normal arrangements that would cover a, an election. Yet John Roscombe from the... Um, the, the uh, uh, Institute of Public Affairs said this, that never has uh, such draconian legislation been passed in such haste and with uh, so little scrutiny. Well, I think that's because it's got this $12,500 penalty, which doesn't apply elsewhere. I mean, that, that's, I don't understand why the government put that in. Yeah. I think it's very unwise because if someone's been offended, you don't overcome the offence by giving them $12,000. I mean, they'll still be offended before and after. Karen, is it just there for appearance's sake anyway? Well, it's interesting. The genesis of this was the Special Minister of State, who at the moment is Matthias Cormann. I think the reason it sailed through without much debate is that Labor supported it. The Shadow Attorney-General, yeah. Mark Dreyfus, supported it, so there wasn't a, a great deal of angst and debate about it. But mm. my understanding is that um, the Attorney-General's not that keen on it. Uh, he's made it known to other people that he's, he's not that keen. He's got the discretion he's as got to the whether discretion he prosecutes it. And he, he's making it known to his colleagues that he's not going to be minded to allow any prosecution. It would take a fairly extreme action, I would imagine, for him to, uh, to take action. Which means this is there as a preventative measure, but really probably isn't going to penalise anybody much at all. So it's just sending a bit of a message. Yeah. Um, on that, um, the, the, um, the religious uh, freedom question, now John Howard weighed in and said, look, let's hear the details now. Before people vote yes or no in, in the survey, they, they, they deserve the right to know what kind of religious freedoms are, are going to be put in place. Now, Malcolm Turnbull's argument to that is, uh, uh, look, let's have the vote and then before the legislation we'll get to it. Here he is. That's why I say this will see the parliament at its best, because you will see people of good faith on, and people of faith on both sides of the chamber saying, right, the Australian people have spoken, assuming they say yes. Uh, let What we're going to do now is ensure that same-sex couples can marry and that we provide the protections for religious freedom that a nation whose very foundation document, the Constitution, recognises religious freedom. Can somebody explain what freedoms are under, under threat here? Well, I, you know, the No case argues that, that uh, religious people will, or institutions 
shouldn't have to marry people who are um, same-sex couples well, they if they don't want to, and they don't. And so I mean, I what think are the freedoms? Well, well we're also seeing here. a blurring of the lines between the religious institution of marriage and the legal institution of marriage, and the two things are quite separate. Now, if you go into a church and you are married, you're married in the eyes of God by the ceremony, but you're not married under the law until the certificate is properly signed. They're two separate institutions, and what we're talking mm. about in the survey is the legal institution. The religious mm. institution is quite separate. Well, in answer to your question, I'm not too concerned about cake makers. Um, I don't think that's an issue, but I think there is one issue here. If the, if the Commonwealth Government changed the definition of marriage, and if a Christian school, an Islamic school, a Jewish school, teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman, and someone in a state or territory finds that objectionable and takes that to a state anti-discrimination commission, we have no idea what would happen. But, so they, but they may well teach that marriage is between a man and a woman in, within their faith, but, but it, it won't be with, yeah, but, between a man and a woman under the, Australian the law if the law is The interesting word you use there is may. They may or they may not. I mean, you don't know. Otherwise, if you knew, you wouldn't be using the word may. No, and this the is, the I, this is why John Howard is right. We don't really know. Now, uh, if, if, if a, the government had put up, as would normally happen, a government would have draft legislation. If the government would put it up, it may well help the yes case. But the legislation not being there, it's not going to help the yes case if people are concerned about what legislation might be, which they haven't but seen. But I think, I think the no case wanted the legislation so they could then run their rabbits to, to undermine the yes case. And this is, well, I think this is the lesson, part of the up, lesson from the Republic. Much information. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah, I think yeah. The, that's the lesson from the Republic debate, where the yes case said, right, we're going to... The, the absolute small target uh, theory, right, it's only one issue. Malcolm Turnbull's not wrong in terms of saying this is a threshold question because the legislation is where there's going to be a, a hell of a debate. And you're picking up exactly right now but, where that debate but, will but be, the government, the government did not put up legislation to help the no case. Malcolm Turnbull supports the yes case. The government just did not put up legislation. You don't know why they didn't do it. I suspect they were happier to have it with the backbench coming from the backbench because maybe they didn't want to get involved. But this is not a cutting plan by Malcolm Turnbull to help the no case. This is just a fact, which Don Howard has drawn attention to. We don't know what is in the Commonwealth legislation. We don't know what impact that may or may not have on well, state the legislation. The MPs will have that information before they vote, and that's when the law changes. That's the right. survey doesn't change the law. That's the right. MPs but, will change but, the law. No, but the referendum changes the it's definition. Not it's not a referendum. No, it's just an opinion poll. Well, yeah. But it will, it, will, it will go into legislation and that will change. The, the Marriage Act will change. If, if yes gets up, yes will get up in the Parliament. So it's effectively going to be well, like a referendum. there are a number of MPs who say no matter what people well, vote in the survey, they will vote no because that's how they feel. There may be a number, but it's nothing like a majority. All right, let's move we'll on to the, uh, to, to the media laws. And there was one very bitterly fought, fought out proposition that, uh, that uh, you don't... Uh, that media proprietors don't own radio, television and newspapers all in, all in the one market. It went through this time, uh, despite the opposition from the Greens and Labor, and it's it's because I, I guess the arguments that um, that the chain that that um, Mitch Firefield put it's the laws preceded the internet, and uh, over time the internet has changed everything. The internet's changed everything, but I, part of it is that media companies in this country are failing, like in terms of what they're offering customers. Like I, I look at straight up a supply and demand. If you cannot compete because you're offering ninjas or yummy mummies or things like that, then you've got a problem. And, and if your advertisers are attracted to Google or to Facebook because that's where your, 
they're getting their audience, then you can throw all the sort of money you want at the wind. You can you can change laws to allow mergers, but if you are not supplying what consumers want, you are going to get rolled every day of the week. Well, it's expression of frustration at the way people are consuming mm. their news now. It's different. It is different. And that is something that major media, mainstream, traditional media companies have grappled with for decades, particularly the last decade, and not really managed to It's, it's like to a candle maker saying, oh, damn those electric lights. Oh, yeah. Sorry, not, we've, not that's the candle maker. I thought they said that about coal. Now it's the media. You've got that's all these right. candle makers around. Yeah, there's the a lot of candle makers but, out but there. But the point is that the media Days in this country <laughs> was restricted for 30 years. Now, yes, when Paul Keating mm -hmm. brought in the, the rules 30 years ago, they made some sense, but they didn't make sense after that. No. So what you've had is the Australian media being highly, highly restricted as to what it can do. These, I, I think Mitch Farfell has been very successful, he explained it well today, what they're just trying to take off some of the restrictions, not all of the restrictions, some of the restrictions are off. Yeah, uh, but and, and they've got a lot of in the process of giving money, public money, to commercial operators because, in a way, oh. now that they're partly pub publicly funded, aren't yeah, they? We're sitting here in, in, in uh, South Bank Studio. The ABC gets over a billion dollars a year, and you're complaining about but it's some millions. It is a publicly funded media organisation. Yeah, but it's, it's government intervention in the media, isn't it? I support the ABC. I'm not calling for any reduction mm. in funding. But it's government intervention in a market, and it's a lot of intervention. But that's the extent... And, and, and he's come up with a deal about $60, $60 million. My only objection is it's going to go to people like the Saturday paper. I mean, fancy giving Maurice Schwartz money oh, so for a left-wing rag. Talk about the thought, please. <laughs> so, do that so not now, the thought, please. So now we're going to pick and wanna, choose... You just want to support your mate Bond. He writes this boring column So now Saturday. we're going to fund only the organisations whose views we like. Is that right? We're going to give money no, grants to... Well, no, you're just no, saying, I don't like objection. the Saturday paper. I'm, I'm, I, you, you, this might surprise you. I'm not the government. They're going to do it, whatever I say. I'm full, not the government. But the full They're extension of it. your argument about the, AC, uh, the ABC is that you don't want a public broadcaster. That's rubbish. What is? I just sure. said I wanted a public broadcaster. All I'm saying is it's a government intervention in the media. It's and a, it's a billion dollars. It, and it competes with the... It's it, government it, making sure you, that... You the take a regional town, which had a newspaper... In the last 10 years, the ABC has moved from broadcasting into print. Everybody it's, has. Hang on. Everybody Can has. Can I just finish? It's got print online. Yes. So, so there's more competition coming in. And oh, look, $60 million is not a lot of money. And it's going to regional and, uh, and rural newspapers and other media. It's not a lot of money. And, and they probably didn't I... want to do it as part of a deal. Won't do anyone any harm and uh, won't stop anyone watching SBS. Your you know? question uh, to the minister there about whether foreign-owned entities would be excluded, mm. he said, yes, they will be. Now, that would presumably mean that News Corp's regional papers mm. would be excluded. Or and that's will why be The Guardian, he says, is excluded. Well, except that there, there have been people saying that they believe that News Corp's regional papers would be included. So mm. maybe we get down into the weeds on what a company structure is, what, how a company is structured and, and whether it's classified as an Australian subsidiary or not. And there's the weeds of supplying money to companies to employ cadets. Mm. We've got plenty of journalism schools who are producing lots and lots of journals. Do we need to pump money into a three-year program, what happens at the end but of three years? Yes, and the, shouldn't we also yeah. keep in mind that they're only doing this because Nick Xenophon insisted on it, not because yeah. they think it's a good idea. No, that's right. And the same with Pauline Hanson's demands around the ABC. Suddenly, it's a terrific idea. It's there so that they could get the, the, the right. legislation through the parliament. Yes. That's Barry, all. You've worked in government. I've worked in government. Government's about doing deals and getting legislation through. They had to do a few deals. So what? They're not big deals. They're not going to make much sure, difference. Sure, but now they prosecuted it if it was their idea in the first place. But no, look, that's but, politics. Let, let, let's <laughs> hear from Pauline Hanson now around this um, uh, her, her demands and, and the changes that she wants at the ABC.
The ABC re receives over $1 billion a year from the Australian taxpayer. We are not all left-wing, bleeding hearts wanting to open our borders to illegals and refugees. We are not all supporters of gay marriage. We are not all supporters of corrupt unions and socialist agendas. We are not all supporters of becoming a republic. And we are definitely not all supporters of destroying our Australian identity, culture and way of life for the continued push for multiculturalism and forever saying sorry. Okay, clearly her idea of fair and balanced, balance in particular, will be a little different, I think, to the government's. Is that potentially complicating the matter down the down I didn't the know you were so powerful, Barry, but uh, in terms of your campaign against... Or that I have such heartfelt support for corrupt unions. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but uh, I know, and, and this is the one of the issues, is that One Nation's view of balance is not what a journalist's view of balance inside either a commercial newspaper or a public broadcaster. They are chalk and cheese where they refer to balance is my view is not the preeminent view and well, I'm being challenged on it. It's, yeah, and this is from a person who talks about I'm being shut down and she manages to say it on every commercial station and oh, on, ev yeah, on every ABC. I'm reminded of the Paul Keating line about balanced coverage and the point is it balances in the eye of the beholder, it always mm -hmm. is. And what you really mean when you talk about fairness is I want my point of view put yeah, across and not, not somebody else's. Senator Hanson's uh, proposition is not going to make any difference. I mean, whatever legislation you change, she doesn't run the ABC. I'm not sure that anyone runs the ABC. I think it's run by various cliques. I'm not sure that the board certainly doesn't. The managing director appears not to, uh, and various different people run it. The idea that Senator Hanson's going to run insiders, I mean, come no, on. No, no, but the real issue here is well, how do you execute this idea of fairness and balance? What is the test? You know, I worked for a public broadcaster and during election campaigns we, were, we had measured seconds given to each, you know, in broadcast given to each party and it was not a perfect mechanism oh, right, because well, it's, it's well, about the nature of the content as much as how much air won't time make there any is. So. We've heard from Pauline Hanson, um, so in the interest of the, the charter that's just coming up around the corner, we have an obligation to be fair and balanced, so uh, let's hear from Jackie Lampy. You are a disgusting bunch of individuals at times. You have no moral values and to go after the public broadcaster is an absolute disgrace. Yeah. Absolutely. $30 million you'll go, and, you'll go and give to others that are already making an absolute monster out there and you're going after and attacking our own, our very own public broadcasters. What is that? What? Because they're one step ahead when it comes to iView on their social media platform. You're going to punish them for that. Why the rest of them should have seen this coming 10 years ago, should have got up with the bloody program of the 21st century and they got their hand out saying, help us government. This is crap. This is the worst lot of crap I have seen. I wonder, right. I wonder if Jackie's a member of the Henderson clique inside the ABC. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you could have a good program there, Lambie and Hanson. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to energy, uh, energy policy now. And uh, it was a rather spectacular end of the week in, in this sense that the, the, the Labor's claim all week um, that power prices in New South Wales have gone up by $1,000 seem to have blown up in their faces. And on Thursday, uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Josh Frydenberg couldn't get into the parliament quickly enough. The leader of the opposition's $1,000 claim for an electricity price increase for the average Sydney household is false. It's dishonest and it's designed to deliberately mislead the Australian people. Electricity prices are not a question of opinion. They're a question of fact. And we know what the facts are. 
and the facts were misrepresented by the Labor Party. Well, I guess they walked into that I one. I seem to recall that uh, um, opponents of a carbon tax said a lamb roast was going to cost $100, and that never happened either. What, are you either. suggesting they all exaggerate? Oh, gosh, far <laughs> be it from me. But, you know, yes, and yes, they should be called out on it, absolutely, when they exaggerate, and that was an exaggeration. But I think Josh Frydenberg had a good week. Probably had a good fortnight, actually. So. Yes, though, are they any closer to a policy? They're saying to the, um, to the AGL, you know, you've got 90 days to come up with a plan... What about 90 days for the government to come up with a plan, like an energy policy? Do you know, look, this, this is like a relationship going bad. The, the industry business have been saying to the government for years, give us an energy policy. The reason we're not investing, the reason that we're having these problems with blackouts and, and price rises is we don't have an energy policy. There's no certainty. They've been saying it and saying it. It's like when someone is, is deciding they don't love you anymore. They're giving you messages, they're giving you messages and you're not hearing them. And then finally they're going to say to you, we're done. Industry mm. is now saying, we're over it. Give us an energy policy or you are going to see these kinds of things happening. And they're mm. outraged that a company like AGL could be could be called in, reprimanded, and the government could demand what what a company like AGL can do. Well, They're very worried about one that. One of the weirder things is we've got a government defending, trying to encourage a company to put money into a 50-year-old coal-fired power station. In Western Australia last week, uh, one of the worst problems for the Barnett government got uh, came to an end. Five years ago, they decided to try to keep open a 52-year-old coal-fired power station. The absolute cost of it blew out, uh, trebled uh, to $330 million. This week, the state government said we have to close it six months early because it is a danger. It is not working. Now, Liddell is a 50-year-old coal-fired power station that's surrounded by a lake with brain-eating uh, microbes. Um, and there's an argument that let's just pump more money into it. I think I have a feeling that an energy company has some idea how to run a coal-fired power station. Yeah, yes. A government does not yeah, have yeah. and shouldn't have the expertise to run a coal-fired power station. But Shane, you don't run the country and no. th this government's got a real crisis. Now, Northern went out in South Australia, welcomed by the South Australian Labor government. Uh, Hazelwood went out in Victoria, welcomed by the Victorian Labor government. This government's acting because of the advice from AEMO, the Australian Energy Market, Marketing Organisation, which is not a Commonwealth government body, it's, they've, they've got a very small role. They're saying that there's a 30% chance of blackouts in Victoria, I think it is, and a 40% of blackouts in South Australia, or the other way around, this summer. That's why the Prime Minister's got to... I mean, it's all very well to sit on the couch and say, look, you know, this and that. But if you're, if you're going to carry the load for someone who gets caught in a lift in Adelaide or Melbourne no, no, in, in January, you, you've got to... Liddell, Liddell's to not going to solve it, that. It is not. That. No, but it, it would at least it look like you're trying to do something. Yeah, it looked like exactly. And that's the point, isn't it? Appearances. It, and, and that's what it do. It looks like you're trying to do something, whereas what will make a fundamental difference, and the, and the industry absolutely demands it, is a policy. A clean energy target, something that then gives them the direction so that they can then start and Well, the invest. government will come up with a clean energy target. The issue is whether... In time for the blackout? The issue whether efficient coal will be in it. Look, this government, this Commonwealth government is not responsible for what happened in South Australia and Victoria under Labor governments which welcomed the closure of power stations. This Commonwealth government is very it's much not. responsible for a failure of policy over the past decade. Both sides they have failed but, but the reason on energy why, policy. The reason why the, the South Australian and, and the Victor, uh, Victorian Labor governments welcomed what happened was because they wanted to push more into the renewable energies. Mm. This is where the problem starts and ends. It, it's, this, it's this rapid move to renewables without adequate backup. 
But and this is what they're looking at Liddell because they're conscious that if Liddell goes out in six years' time, and in fairness to AGL, they did advise the government of this, I think, two years ago, that this is what they were planning yeah. to do. But circumstances have changed in recent months. Well, and what, uh, if I were sitting in Canberra, I would, uh, I would think I've got some kind of promise, not just a matter what, of analysis. What, Jared, what AGL is saying is that they have got a plan, and it involves gas, it involves hydro, it involves batteries, right. and they can do this and still... No. Their output might even increase. No, but if you talk to AGL, the they're the saying... Hang on a second. Yeah. The Prime Minister says, yeah. no, you haven't. You haven't got a plan at all. Here he is. Well, it, it it's absolutely does matter what they come back with because what we want to be assured of is that any alternative is... Go and, and they have not articulated what it is. So we, have no, we don't know. I'm, and frankly, I don't think they do either, by the way. I don't think they do either. Uh, if they had a plan, they'd be able to put it on the table now. Uh, why would it be in AGL's interest not to no. have a plan that's going to be yeah. effective? But and if you talk to AGL, they've articulated the plan anyway they've got and an obligation given it to, to the stock market. Yes, so. that's no, right. I understand, from, look, I understand why AGL's doing what it's doing. It's a company and it, it, it's got to look after its shareholders. I recognise all that. But I understand is that AGL hasn't finally developed a plan. It may have one in 90 days. If they'd had one, yeah. if they'd had one this week, they would have provided it. Well, it's going to the produce it much faster is, than it would have otherwise. Well, the, the, they, they probably will come up with a plan. They have to and they will. But they don't have one at this moment. That's why they want 90 days. If they had For one, something that they is happening in, in, fi five in five years' time. Years. Well, it's such a small issue. The big issue is, has the government got a plan and will we see that in 90 days, surely? Well, that's no. not going to affect anything that's going to happen this summer anyway. Right. Now, yeah. um, Malcolm Turnbull well, is will. normally <laughs> quite restrained in the parliament this week, but I don't know whether you noticed the moment when he turned on Tony Burke and gave him a bit of a serve. Here it is. The member for Watson there is shouting his head off. What a pathetic display. Grow redder. He's getting so red, Mr Speaker. Oh, he's settling down now. He's settling down now. That's good. That's good for his heart. Very important. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Mr Speaker, what we need is affordable and reliable energy because the reality is if we don't have it, Australians will pay the blackout bill. Yeah, he's quite animated there, and then he fired up again um, later on. It's the second anniversary, of course, since um, he's been uh, the, the uh, Prime Minister of the country. Um, Bill Shorten invited him then to, uh, to, to list his achievements in that time, and this is the response. Prime Minister, after two years of failure and disappointment, what's really changed? How are you any better than the member for Warringah? Australia is the most the successful multicultural society in the world. On Australia Day, which we defend, which we defend, we begin, we begin those celebrations with an acknowledgement of country, a welcome to country, and through all of that, all of that which Labor so derides. Listen to them, Mr Speaker. They deride the values that Australians share. Australians love this country. We believe that welfare money should not be spent Lindsay on drugs warned. and booze, but those opposite have no problem with it being spent on drugs and booze. They will not support us. How shameful. And I tell you, Mr Speaker, when we do, we do so with love. We do so with love and a compassion and the Australian values of helping our mates, looking after each other, standing up for Australia, being standing the up Prime for Australia. Labor wasn't deriding 
uh, uh, Malcolm Turnbull. They were trying to understand how he was segueing from Australia Day to <laughs> well, booze yeah, and drugs. It went over really well uh, with those behind him. Um, it was a rather odd mix of, of priorities and um, hot button uh, issues, I think, and, and, and so on. Though he did he did mention jobs off the top. He said to Bill Shorten, "This is a strange time for you to be asking me about this when the day when the job figures came out." And in fact, the the, the last six months, more jobs have been created in that six-month period they were very than good. in any six-month period for 17 years. 300,000 jobs in a year. Now, in though. fairness to the whole of this government, that is the Abbott government plus the Turnbull government, and I see them as a continuum. There hasn't been, as I pointed out in my column on Saturday in the Australian, there hasn't been yeah. a great change. Uh, not a great change. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the real achievement of this government, they've presided over very strong employment and, and quite low unemployment, but particularly very strong employment, and that's that's quite a plus. I yeah. think they should be selling that message more. This is a, a good outcome. No, I think they Jared, and, Jared, and Jared's absolutely right, and that's it was weird why Bill Shorten asked that question because uh, they're on track to have the best 12 months of in history yeah. in terms of employment growth and but, but that, wa wages and yeah, yeah that's wages. Right. But uh, yes, you mentioned Tony Abbott and he did the anniversary interviews as well. Uh, one with the Telegraph where he talked about some of his regrets. I think. A lot of this was tongue-in-cheek, of course. Uh, he mentioned, for a start, that uh, this is, he shouldn't have done this. He shouldn't have uh, eaten a raw onion. He, he went on to, to say that the wink, um, and he said it was um, uh, to Neil Mitchell, in fact, it was to John Fain on uh, ABC Melbourne, in Melbourne, and that shouldn't have... And, and this, he said he, he should have taken walking lessons. I didn't realise he had some sensitivity about the way he walks. Um, another one as well, he thinks he made a mistake with... Uh, by cutting um, entitlements to the backbench because, one, he didn't get any uh, kudos from the voting public and he upset his backbench. Well, he certainly upset some backbenchers. He, he did upset some did. backbenchers. Yes. But he hasn't climbed down from the Knights and Dames and he hasn't climbed down from the Prince Philip knighthood uh -huh. either. All right, well, our panel, Karen Middleton, Shane Wright and Jared Henderson will be back shortly with their final observations, but it's time now for Mike Bowers and Talking Pictures. I'm Mike Bowers and I'm photographer at large for The Guardian Australia. I'm talking pictures this week with Tony Wright, who's associate editor and special writer for the Fairfax Group. Uh, a very warm welcome. Thanks very much, Michael. We've got a special friend from um, Scott Morrison's office. Yeah, cute little devil. Has he got a name? He's, he's called Minnie Mal. Minnie he's, Mal, he's, yeah. he's ScoMo's yeah. pet rock. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of yeah. love for him. Uh, clean coal? It's very clean. I've had yeah. it very... Although it's yeah. dirtying on me a bit. Yeah, yeah, so happens, yeah. We might just oh, well. We might just put Minnie Mal yeah. down over there the for a bit. A bit like well, there wasn't much love lost in the corridor, Tony, as uh, Joel Fitzgibbon <laughs> and Josh Frydenberg ran into each other and sort of had a rolling argument that went yeah. down the length of the press gallery. It, it, it was a bit over the top, wasn't it? Although, oh. if they'd had Minnie Mal or Cole with them, yeah. something serious might have occurred, but... I think this was done for the cameras. This was done for the cameras, definitely. When I ran into um, Josh and Ed, who are mates from the yeah. other side of the, the dispatch box, uh, um, they had a reenactment. Yeah, well, um, it has to be very serious to have a yeah. reenactment, doesn't it? Blackout Bill, no Cole Joel, Brownout mm. Butler. Um, you know, must, what do the members of the opposition feel that don't have names? Well, they must feel pretty left out of it. But of course, Malcolm Turnbull and his colleagues must spend most of their nights up 
weight thinking and thinking and thinking, coming up with these great names. I did love this Cadelka. I think it's one of the uh, better cartoons of the week. The Barnaby Fired Power Station. Now, this <laughs> this could be the answer to all our troubles. It is uh, great. Barnaby it? is in his little steam container here, and... Uh, He's, he's looking at a picture of uh, the head of AGL. That, that's Andy Vesey. Andy Vesey. And, he, that's and right. he's, uh, he's really steaming up he's... about it. But I notice over here, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the good part he's, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During periods of high demand, add photos of Johnny Depp's dogs. <laughs> uh, this week, Barnaby seems to be able to go from sort of relaxed on the bench to sort of <laughs> outraging back again in a nanosecond. Well, he looks as if he's barracking for the uh, All Blacks there, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> His home team. <laughs> yeah, they are. How good is it to be agile again as uh, Tony's escaping from the Finkel Electricity Policy <laughs> Correctional Facility? Here. He's certainly been a bit agile recently, He's hasn't been he? Very the old agile, hasn't he? Yeah. Tony, the um, postal survey is in the mail, and Parliament this week legislated to take some of the pain out of campaigning. They um, decided that uh, there would be high fines for anyone who said anything wrong. There were some uh, very emotional speeches in Parliament. Yep. Um, Penny Wong uh, yep. gave a very heartfelt uh, speech, as did Louise Pratt. And Pauline the... was feeling for them? Yes. You know. Not really, no. No, no not, she not too much. Corey oh, has Corey. been in everything this week. He's, he has, he's, yeah. I, think, I think he's secretly going to vote yes, Tony. Well, he, he might be. He, he looks a bit nonplussed at, uh, at Hinch's appearance in, you know, the, the rainbow scar. He, um, he kind of... Accidentally, on purpose, I think, crashed the uh, WA yeah. Labor vote yes photo shoot on the stairs of Parliament yeah. and sort of hammed it up for the cameras. Yeah, it looks like he's coming out of court. Donald <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Trump uh, looked into the eclipse a couple of weeks ago and it seems he might have wrecked his eyesight because he's, uh, he's he, the big no-no <laughs> yes. is, is uh, um, blue blazer and black trousers. I think it's probably something deeper than that. Do you? He's been sacking a lot of people recently and I reckon his dresser... He's got, got sack. <laughs> Mate, it's been a great pleasure unpicking the events of this week, and I'll let you... In fact, we should let Minimal do the... Uh... Oh, I think we should. Yeah. Back to you, Barry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Jared. final observation. Um, recent research at the University of Sussex and King's College London has totally debunked Prince Charles's crazy 2015 notion that somehow the Syrian civil war was caused by climate change. So I think even for us Republicans, we should be singing loudly, long live our noble queen. <laughs> us Republicans. Eh? Um, further good economic or fiscal news for the government, which they should be able to dance up and down on. The final budget outcome is due within the next fortnight. It will show a much smaller budget deficit for 16-17. That will feed into smaller deficits and perhaps a larger deficit uh, surplus coming in. It is good economic news that the government should cling to. Uh, an observation about events offshore. The um, opposition politician in Cambodia, Sam Rance, is in Australia this week raising awareness about the anti-democratic goings-on in Cambodia. Hun Sen has had the opposition leader arrested. He's closing down newspapers, really taking a heavy-handed approach to the democratic process. Now, this is a country that Australia gives millions of dollars to to take uh, what has turned out to be a handful of refugees. It's been very strong on anti-democratic practices around the region with other countries like Fiji. Let's hope it's not going quiet on Cambodia because of this refugee deal. All right, I'm tempted to say in a quiet week this next segment is good enough to take us out. Ian Goodenough is a <laughs> Liberal <laughs> member from Western Australia. He stepped up at question time and led with his chin. We'll leave you with that. Thanks for watching. Will the Minister update the House on the importance of protecting the Australian community from dangerous non-citizens?
the manager of opposition business. Speaker, reflections on the Deputy Prime Minister should be made by direct motion, not through a question. There should be a motion on the notice paper. I feel very excited about being here.